all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I'm super grateful for you and that you joined me for the podcast today. And those of you who have become patrons of the podcast, partnering with us on Patreon, thank you so much. And I hope you are enjoying this podcast a week early as well as lots more coming your way. If you'd like to become a partner with us for this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Christy Knuckles. Or download the free app now, and you can get the podcast a week early and all kinds of sneak peeks of other fun things, including new music that's on its way. We have such a hope for this podcast to continue to be a place of peace for all of you, a respite from the noise, and to continue to focus on bringing truth for the moment, right in the craziness of the pace that's all around you. We love getting to come alongside you where you need it the most and just lift our eyes together and set our hearts together on the hope and the rest that we have in Jesus Patreon gives content creators like me a platform to be able to both connect with our core listeners and then for you to get to support the podcast and artists that you want to hear more from. So it's very exciting for us, and it's really been kind of like wind in our sails this past week to be able to dream towards the future for this podcast. So we hope you'll check it out. Well, it's been a gut-wrenching week and a half watching the news, of course, and hearing the stories of the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And it's also been quite astounding, I'm sure you're like me, just being able to watch God move in the hearts of His people and bringing help and hope to the people of Houston. I've gotten to hear firsthand stories from my sister-in-law, Kristen, who has been there for the last several days with her parents, helping them, and just how complete strangers have shown up to her mom and dad's doorstep with hammers and tools ready to help. She said at one point there were 12 teenagers in their house ripping up their floors and helping, and she was just astounded by their kindness. And on the flip side of that, I've also gotten to hear the harsh reality, really, of what's still going on there and what is likely yet to come for people as they're trying to recover from such an enormous loss. And meanwhile, they're having to pile wet carpet, mattresses, books, toys, clothing, and even precious keepsakes into gigantic piles on the curbside with no end in sight, really, of when that might get hauled away. And most homes are being stripped down to the studs, those that have been flooded, and they'll go through this process of bringing in fans and dehumidifiers for days after that to try to get all the moisture out. So it's just going to be a long haul for these families. It's going to be a long process. I did want to say thank you to all of you who gave towards Hurricane Relief through With You Ministries, which is my brother and sister-in-law, Kristen and Eric Hill. And they were able to raise more than $15,000, and that number is still climbing. So thank you so much for those of you who gave towards that. They have been able to purchase all of the supplies, and they're going to be driving that truck in this week. And Kristen is already there on the ground, and she's been helping her parents, as I said, but she's been able to report back to Eric several times a day on specific needs of the community where she's volunteering, so they've been able to get a good read on what is needed. So here's also how I believe that you can pray. Please pray for the morale of the people, both survivors and volunteers. Pray for their spirits to lift. Pray for hope to rise in the people there. Pray for the glorious to happen in the mundane, for people to somehow, against all odds, experience kingdom and beauty in really practical ways. Pray that people will be able to properly grieve during this time. Pray that God will give people wisdom to be able to think on their feet. There's so much exhaustion. So as you can imagine, decision-making becomes massively burdensome, and some of these decisions are having to be made quickly. So pray right now just for wisdom in that, that people will just know what to do. Pray for systems to somehow get up and start running smoothly, things as simple as trash being hauled away. That would make a massive difference. So all in all, keep praying, keep giving, keep going, and keep singing in front of the battle like we talked about last podcast. 
Well, I trust that you have had a meaningful week and that the Lord has been working in your heart since we last met together on the podcast, especially through this beautiful truth of Him seeing you and loving you and even being pleased with you, as Sarah shared on the last podcast, when you least expect that you might feel that kind of peace over you, even in the unseen and seemingly uncelebrated moments of your life. This is good news, right? Because that's pretty much most of our day. (laughs) Well, you might have seen our big announcement that we're very excited about. I'm releasing a new album called Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved on September 29th. And this has been such a life-giving album to make from the writing of the songs all the way through to singing the vocals. I know I said this about the Christmas record, but I really do think it's my favorite thing that I've ever gotten to do and be a part of. So I'm so excited to get to tell you all about it on this podcast. You might recall in March, I told you that there were some stirrings in my heart and I needed to really get still and quiet to hear from the Lord what they were. And I also knew that summer was approaching, and I remembered that last spring and summer, I was waist deep in the Christmas record, and my kids were very patient with me as I continually prepared for and recorded the podcast. And as you may remember, we launched a campaign to fund my Christmas record, The Thrill of Hope. And then, of course, at the same time, writing and recording all those songs, it was all in all a lot for this mama. So when the stirrings came this time around, I knew I needed to prepare the way in my heart and logistically. So as you know, I laid the podcast down for the summer and it allowed me to dream and to write and to record, but to also have time with my sweet family this summer. I was able to say yes to them more. I was able to block off days just to play, to go to the zoo, a few weeks to just head out somewhere. We went to the beach. We spent time with extended family. We watched Annie Rose catch fireflies out on the new lawn that I told you about. And we did really simple things like make indoor s'mores, which is really just us standing over the gas stovetop in the kitchen roasting marshmallows. Because I think we always crave s'mores in the summer, but it's too hot for the fireside kind. My favorite s'more, by the way, side note, is fudge-striped cookies instead of graham crackers. I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. Fudge-striped cookies, roasted marshmallow, of course, and then here's what puts it over the top, if you like this kind of thing. Spread peanut butter on the underside of both of those fudge-striped cookies. Lay that roasted marshmallow in there and smash it, and you're going to want a plate under it because it oozes out the top and the bottom. Oh, my goodness. If you're a peanut butter lover you're going to write in right now to thank me. So you're welcome for that in advance. Anyway, some of you might be asking, why do you call them stirrings? And the best way to describe it is maybe the first inklings of God whispering something. I think it's safe to say that I think sometimes these inklings might surprise us how creative and even sometimes whimsical they are. And maybe our tendency is to push those things away because they don't seem spiritual enough. Here's an interesting and I think a fun little side note on this word inklings. Did you know that in the 1930s until the late 1940s or so, there was this informal literary group of men out of Oxford University who would gather to discuss and actually read aloud their literary works that they were currently working on. At the heart of this group was C.S. Lewis and actually J.R.R. Tolkien. Apparently, C.S. Lewis took particular pleasure in listening to his colleagues read aloud their unfinished works, which I just think is so fascinating. They eventually invited like-minded writers to join them, and the meetings were kind of regularized. And they would meet on Tuesday mornings at an Oxford pub called Eagle and Child, which they actually ended up just calling Bird and Baby, or sometimes just Bird. And then they'd meet in Lewis's room at Magdalen College on Thursday nights as well. And this group was just kind of described more as a circle of friends. And there was never really an agenda other than them each just kind of reading aloud their unfinished works. And then basically they all got to speak into it with either praise or even sometimes candid criticism. 
J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings was read aloud, as well as C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet and Charles Williams' All Hallows' Eve. The name Inklings was a bit of a pun for those who dabble in ink, writers who may have an inkling of what they are supposed to write about. It's also said that the name was to represent the Christians in the group, that it suggested certain inklings of immortality and their assurance of things hoped for and their conviction of things unseen. So the stirrings are these inklings, and when they come, it serves us very well to know what to do with them. It's also my experience that for the most part, I like to go hide under a rock, as I've told you many times, so that I can be confident in that assurance of things hoped for and to hold on to that conviction of things unseen. I literally fast from scrolling through Instagram. I might post here and there, but I'm not scrolling through it. I'm literally fasting from all of that stuff. I actually don't even listen to music. Most of the time, I write music in complete silence in what I call my thinking chair. I've had people ask me before, you know, does the melody and the lyric come at the same time or do you get those separately? And I will say for the most part, it usually comes together. So the melody and the lyric are coming at the same time, and there might be an inkling of a concept or a theme or even a title. And then when I have that, I invite the Holy Spirit in to help me come around that theme that He's already given. And though I'm no C.S. Lewis, I do have a group of inklings that I will take the earliest stirrings to. We might not be meeting weekly in a pub, but we do have a booth that we love at Gray's in downtown Franklin. Or maybe it's us stretched out on a beach somewhere, and I'm just vulnerable enough with it to say, what do you think? I think our processes are all probably pretty different and unique because of our wirings. Some of us might have similar processes, but all in all, you are a daughter or a son unique to the God who made you. I've quoted many times Ephesians 2.10, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared for us in advance that we might walk in them. It's beautiful to think of the myriad of ways that we are His workmanship and those works that He prepared for us in advance to walk in. This is how we display His glory on earth, each one of us bringing the kingdom of God to earth through our unique wiring and gifting. In the broad strokes of our lives, yes, but also inside of the thousands of times you'll just brush up against people today all around you. I'm speaking in terms of songwriting, but yours could be organization or hospitality, it could be education, or even how you're studying in college or writing your thesis. I believe there's a way in whatever season you're in to specifically hear from God on how you're to bring beauty and order to what's right in front of you and to pay attention to those early stirrings and to not ignore them. Write them down. Start praying over them immediately, even if it feels too whimsical or too crazy. Sometimes when I need to finish a song, but I also have dishes to do or laundry to fold, I'll put on the song in the Rolodex of my brain that I need to be working on, and I'll go to that unfinished part of that song. It might be the bridge of the song, or it might be a verse or a second verse, and I'll pray, and I'll ask the Lord to come sing through me as I fold laundry. And I'm so surprised every time all over again how He really does meet me in that place when I'm disciplined to just work it out, and I get it done. The stirrings around this album— we're initially around this idea of, in this word, really, beloved. This album has been a desire of my heart, I will say, for many years, even since my own children were babies. It's funny, I think the very reason that I felt so incapable of pulling it off then, a lullaby album when my babies you know, needed lullabies, is the very reason that I feel so compelled to release it now. In those days, I can't say that I was really living from a place of being the beloved. Even though that was what was true of me, of course, I wasn't really living from that place. And I've sh I've shared this with you before, but I kind of fought motherhood like a ninja pretty hard, like from the very beginning. It was like these tiny people had arrived, and though I adored them, at times I felt 
kind of threatened by how much it required of me to care for them. I felt threatened that I was having to lay things down in order to make it all work. Now, let me just stop right now and say this. If you don't have children yet, or if you are one of our guy listeners out there who secretly listen, we love you, by the way. But before you write this episode off as not being for you, I think you can insert any season of your life or aspect that God is calling for complete surrender and trust and to posture yourself before Him in that way. Motherhood was just a vehicle that God used to acutely do surgery on my heart in learning to be the beloved first. So all you single ladies out there, and okay, I already predetermined that I can't really say all you single ladies without (laughs) telling you one of my favorite stories from our youngest, Annie Rose. When Annie was still in her crib, I would sing her to sleep at night, and one night I was doing that, and it was kind of our routine that I would scratch her belly. And so I was singing, and you have to get the visual here first, though, that Annie Rose used to suck her fingers. Her index finger and her middle finger together were always in her mouth, and it just was kind of her look for a while. Anytime you looked over at her while she was playing or watching a TV show, she always was sucking those two fingers. So this night was no different. She was laying on her back and sucking those fingers and looking at me with expectation of what song I was going to sing over her. And I remember I was literally like swept up in this moment like of wanting to really pray over her that night and just was you know tickling her belly. And the song that I chose that night was a song that Nathan and I had written at the time, pretty much recently. It was called A Mighty Fortress. So I'm scratching her belly and I'm singing, A mighty fortress is our God, a sacred refuge is your name. You know, just praying this truth over her. And I was almost to the part that says, And we will keep our eyes on you. And I was really just praying it over. And Annie Rose took those two fingers out of her mouth, and she kind of held them out in front of her like a peace sign. And she said, Can you sing all the single ladies? And she popped those fingers back in her mouth and just stared me down. So through laughing tears, I started in on all the single ladies, all the single ladies. And oh my goodness, the humbling times of motherhood. The Sunday school girl in me, I think, has to add right here that my toddler only knew that song because of the Chipmunks movie. So there you go. (laughs) Anyway, I have so many beautiful single friends in my life right now who I'm watching live this kind of surrender, even now. They're learning to live from this sacred place of being the beloved. And we talk a lot about them living in wholeness, even now on this side of marriage and a family. And if and when they do bring their beloved heart to that marriage, they are entering it from this place of being whole and being the beloved and not entering a marriage striving for it. I think early in the season of becoming a mother, I kept thinking, I should be able to just compartmentalize all this. I should be able to manage it, to keep everything in its proper place, which, you know, of course, ended up wearing me out. My tendency was to rush, to get to the next thing, to go over the to-do list, even while I was rocking the babies to sleep sometimes. And I had no idea how to just be in the moment, how to sit still And most importantly, to be a child of God myself, just to be a child. I pretty much allowed myself to be buried by mundane tasks and just kept drudging through the days to get to another season I liked better. And I even sort of raised my own hand and rendered myself ineffective for a while, kind of benching myself to the sidelines in terms of doing anything what I thought was meaningful or purposeful. Somehow I believed that familiar lie that the tasks of keeping a home and motherhood were not worthy tasks in the kingdom of God, which that kind of belief basically sets us up for exhaustion. There's no life flowing in that. And I remember all too well how exhausted I was by nightfall and being so worn down that I almost didn't even know what to pray over my kids. And I really just kind of wanted someone to pray over me. But during the bedtime routine, there were nights that I'd just rush through it, just trying to get everyone down so that I could have some peace and quiet. Of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have some time to yourself. In fact, I 
established a routine so that I could do that in my life. And I do believe in you being able to breathe and get time alone with your spouse. But it was really more the posture of my heart in that season that the Lord wanted to expose to me so that I could change. As I've shared before on the podcast, the Lord had begun to make it very clear to my husband, Nathan, and I that we were to come off the road for a time We had been recording and traveling as Watermark for about seven years, and I had to come to a place of complete exhaustion with all of it in order for the Lord to really change my heart over it. Our son Noah was about to start kindergarten, and our daughter Ellie was just a toddler, and we were desperate for stability and for calm in our lives, and we were willing to do just about anything for it. But little did I know then what this kind of surrender could bring. I look back on it now with such gratitude that the Lord would lead us to that place of exhaustion so that we might learn how to truly breathe and live. The Lord began to show me what it looked like to be still and to be present and honestly how to be His beloved daughter first and that I could parent better from that place. And I began to sit in what I deemed the secret place For Sarah, hers was called the unseen. Mine was pretty much the farm table in my kitchen, and I learned to let God have my fears over things I had laid down. And hello, I still have to do that every day. But at the time, though, it was fears that I might not ever have a singing platform again, fears that I might not ever write songs that would move people, and that my purpose would be reduced to this hidden place of menial tasks And it was in this secret place, though, that I discovered really the glorious and the mundane. And I found that He was with me at the kitchen sink, and He was next to me in the carpool line. And I'd never really taken the time to truly notice that He was there with me. I began to hear Him in the words of my own children, as small as they were. They would speak truth and life over me in the most unlikely of moments. And I know you moms out there know exactly what I'm talking about. I begin to understand why Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 18, two through four. I believe this is true for salvation, to be born again. But I also take note that this was Jesus's answer to his disciples when they asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I also find it beautiful that Jesus declares in Matthew 11, 25-30, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus said this just before he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That means take my way of doing life upon you and learn from it. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was teaching me to come like a child and exchange the heavy mother load I had placed on my own shoulders For His unforced rhythms of grace, as the message puts it, our Heavenly Father sometimes goes to extremes to get to our heart. And He leads us all, at one point or another, I believe, to our Abraham and Isaac moment. And that's the moment of moments, because whether you raise the knife and pass the test or not, everything in your life points back to that moment from that time on. I can attest that if you choose surrender— You'll never regret it. And it's in that surrender that you let go of every title, every desire, every earthly passion, but in it you gain everything somehow. It's here that suddenly the one title that fits once and for all is beloved. It's here that you give back to Him every gift He already bestowed to you. And it's in the giving back of those things to Him that not only do you learn to trust Him, but you also get to watch Him hold them up for you. Handing Jesus my whole heart meant that I'd also need to take it back from places and people that I had given it to in search of a certain kind of significance. 
And then I'd even need to pry my own grimy little hands off of it as well. And while sitting with him in that secret place, he brought a much-needed lull to my life in a way, and to this weary heart I had placed back into his hands. Hidden from the spotlight more and more and tucked away, he began to uncover for me my belovedness. He reminded me of who I was, his own child. And I began to know and understand him in a different light and to know myself in that light. And he showed me over and over that being his beloved was the complete source of joy and in the place which I could truly live and move and have my being. I was going back to the blessed center for which I was created, to know and enjoy God and to live from the bliss of being known and enjoyed by Him. And as I allow myself to be held, and I mean all of me, all my fears, my anxieties, my secret longings, I begin to understand how to hold my own. As I let His truth sing over me, I begin to sing over the people in my life in a new way. And I was now, in a way, lulling my own children from this place of me being lulled by His presence and holding them from a place of allowing myself to be held. And there was a new surrender in motherhood and a release that set me free. And I believe somehow it set my children free too. And I can still see that to this day. But really the beauty of all of this is that you don't actually have to be a mother to experience what it's like to live from your belovedness. The word beloved, if you simply look it up in the dictionary, is really remarkable. If for one moment you could really allow yourself to believe that these words are true of you. So Webster's Dictionary says, Beloved means a much-loved person, darling, dearest, precious, adored, cherished, and prized. In Scripture, it used to describe Jesus as beloved by God who sent Him, as well as to describe Christ's followers, the beloved of God. Imagine if we really started to live from the truth that it is, rather than just seeing it as a suggestion, or maybe it's easy for you to believe it's true for someone else, and it's harder, much harder, to believe it for yourself. In Exodus 3, we find the story of Moses and the burning bush, where God basically seeks Moses out to send him to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Of course, Moses, as many of us would, began to say, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says to Moses, I will be with you. But Moses still pushes back a bit and says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In English, the name I am translates into the verb be, as in to be. And even in the bottom of my translation, it says, I will be what I will be. In Louis Giglio's book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am, he talks about this very thing, that God revealed himself to Moses as, I am who I am. Or as Louis says, literally, God is basically saying, I be, which Louis states isn't great grammar, but it's great theology. And later as the book unfolds, which is really fun, you begin to track along with the fact that God's name is Be. And we are called the Beloved or the Beloved of God, which can literally be translated to I am, as in the great I am. So when you're called Beloved of God or the Beloved, you're being called the great I am loved. Looking back on all this, it's easy for me to see that it was such a God-appointed time of understanding and that it was a true act of holiness for me to believe that I was loved and to live from that place. It sounds simple, I know, but it was when I began to realize that I could love God with my mind by believing His love over me to the point where I could lay things down, things I really loved, and I could trust them into His keeping. And what I found 
is that there's something really beautiful and transformative that happens when we sort of investigate and even take stock of the things that might be our go-to thoughts in these little noggins of ours. And somehow after believing these things over and over, they begin to become embedded in us and even form a belief system. And it's crazy to think that there's places of our belief system that might be based on something that isn't even really true of us or true of God. I believe this is why it's so important for us to hold up everything to the counsel of God's Word so that places where we might even be becoming legalistic or rigid over things or even allowed ourselves to feel shame or project that shame over these things, we can hold all of that up to the truth of God's Word. And that's where this relationship with Jesus comes in that's so personal because He knows each of us through and through, and we're able to confess and to lay down those things and to hold up all these things that we're believing to the whole counsel of His Word. I'm sure you've heard many people talk about how it's our human nature to project our earthly father's nature onto God. And I've certainly done this through the years and have had to unpack that and investigate it and take stock of what is what and who is who. And if you're having that realization even now, maybe for the first time, it's a road that you should walk down and surrender because the Lord has a lot of healing there that He wants to do in your heart over that. Maybe you haven't realized how that has become a belief system that's not of God. And I will say there are even very subtle things that you might be dealing with every day that are keeping you from complete healing there because you've somehow assigned on to God and ascribed to Him even the hurt you've experienced in your life from your father or from your mother or even another person for that matter. A friend of mine shared her incredible story with me and a group of friends one night several years ago, and her story of forgiveness towards her father for abuse that she had suffered under him. And the Lord brought her to a place of doing a very intricate and powerful work in her heart over it. And as the Lord began to soften her heart and do surgery on it, she said that this overwhelming thought kept coming to her heart that God knew who her dad was when he gave her to him. I think most of us want to kind of balk at that. And I might even just have lost some of you on that one, but we don't want to believe that God might allow very painful circumstances to happen to us, that he knew who the people were that maybe have hurt us when he entrusted us to them. And we struggle even thinking that that's selfish of God to want to use our pain for His glory. And yes, the abuse was because of the darkness of sin, and it's ugly, and it's painful, and this world is broken. But is He not sovereign over our lives? Is He not writing our story? And I love that my friend had the courage to literally wrestle with God over it and ask all the questions and feel all the things And then I love that eventually she became basically defenseless before God on it and allowed Him to walk her through forgiveness. And now the fruit of all that painful pruning is a woman bright with Jesus who is living and walking in freedom and helping to lead other people to freedom because of her story. And there's been a restoration in her family because of it. A.W. Tozer says in The Pursuit of God, Whoever defends himself will have himself for his defense, and he will have no other. But let him come defenseless before the Lord, and he will have for his defender no less than God himself. Let the inquiring Christian trample underfoot every slippery trick of his own deceitful heart and insist upon frank and open relations with the Lord. He should remember that this is holy business. No careless or casual dealings will suffice. Let him insist that God accept his all, that he take things out of his heart and himself reign there in power. It may be he will need to become specific to name things and people by their names one by one. If he will become drastic enough He can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes 
and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. The posture of being defenseless is ultimate surrender. Yet if we approach God without defense and we gain Him as our defender, what sweet surrender! So yes, many times father and mother wounds can silence us and they can even immobilize us. But even in that pain, there is a work that can be done always in terms of our surrender. And I don't know about you, but another trap I fall into is that I compare God's love with my own capability to love. And when you're tired and a worn out mama and you're exhausted, it's very easy to believe that God is tired and He's worn out and He's exhausted. And I think I do this quite often. I compare God's nature with my own nature, which is scary because sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. I compare God's love with my fragile and deficient love rather than taking on His love that is otherly and living from that. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. We can't use those words as mere humans. They are off limits to us. Only God, your Heavenly Father, can use words like unfailing and everlasting. His love is otherly. If this is tugging at your heart, I would find someone who walks with Jesus who could really help walk down that road with you of healing. Maybe in order to believe and receive who you really are, there's some reordering that needs to happen in your core beliefs of who God really is and how He loves. Maybe forgiveness is in order. Maybe it's you becoming defenseless towards God so that He can defend you and forgive through you. I've heard several people from Houston say that the healing from the hurricane is not going to be a sprint. It's a marathon, and they have a long road ahead. And I think it's the same with our hearts in this place of surrender and forgiveness. It's something that has to be revisited over and over. And because we can't forget like God forgets, we have these memories, right, and words that have stung and promises that have been left empty and unfulfilled. My friend Brittany that I've told you about before, she and I were having coffee the other day, and I brought up to her an area in my life where I'm struggling with unforgiveness, and I even brought up our inability as humans to forget. And she said, it's so crazy that you're saying this because I went to this Bible study last night, and it was all about forgiveness. And she said, you know, the old saying is, forgive and forget. But she said this lady that was teaching the study said, actually, the truth is more that we need to forgive and remember. Remember that God is able by His Spirit to forgive through us 70 times 7 and to love through us the way He loves, to remember that He forgave us of our own sin and our own junk that we carry around, to forgive and remember that the people who have hurt us need freedom in their hearts just as much as we do. And when we choose to forgive, even when there's no apology, I believe that there's something that releases in us and it releases in them. And again, it just takes time. It's something we might have to confess over and over, and it's something that we might have to forgive again and again. But this is to prepare the way, to make room in your heart to receive everything that God wants you to receive from Him. He has more for you. Receive for yourself so that you can pour this out also on others. Receive for yourself so that pouring out doesn't deplete you, But instead, what you're pouring out from is an endless supply. So this Lullaby album, Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved, this album comes from such a deep desire to impart and share all these things that God breathed in me so many years ago, instilling in me an awareness of my belovedness that I have never forgotten. And my children, now 17, Noah's 17, I can't believe that, Ellie's 14 and Annie Rose is 10, they've become the beneficiaries, I guess, of God turning my world upside down in the sweetest way and teaching me that I actually couldn't do it all, but He could. And over the years, as I've believed these very truths over my own life, I've been collecting them in my heart of hearts. And when I sat down to turn them into songs, 
I was moved to tears many times as I revisited God's wonderful faithfulness to me, even all the way back to when I was a child. As I sang the vocals, we'd have to just stop here and there because I was moved to tears. I was singing the words with my mouth, but the Lord was singing them over me at the same time. And it was one of the most sacred things that I've ever been a part of. And my prayer is that this album arms us, the beloved of God, with truth to sing from who we are, wherever we are, but especially in the dark, in a world where anxiety and fear seem to reign. I'm convinced that there is always room for a new song of truth. The dark might be figurative for many of us, a season that we're wading through or trusting God through, but in all reality, lying down to sleep in particular for many people becomes a place of complete restlessness. And for children, it can be that dreaded time of trying to still their minds in the darkness. But let's face it, the same can be said for us adults. The Psalms are packed full of promises for the night, and I've used many of these Psalms as my guide for these themes threaded through the record. And one of them I love, it's Psalm 63, 3 through 8. It says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So is this a lullaby record? Yes, it is. But do I believe these songs are restricted to infants and toddlers? Absolutely not. The heart behind this is that a new mother can sing these songs over her child, but in this very same breath, find herself being sung over by her Heavenly Father. We wanted this to be for fathers who maybe don't know exactly what to pray over their children, but a song can somehow convey the deep longings of their heart. And actually, we were pretty intentional for this to be sung by men, too, because you'll hear Nathan singing with me on many of the choruses, because we wanted men and fathers to be able to easily sing these songs. It's also just for those of us who stretch out to sleep and the lies from the enemy, who is the father of lies. They creep in and they try to steal our peace and our rest. It's for us, the beloved, to lie defenseless before our God and lift up a song. My prayer is that you'll allow yourself to be held by God so that you might hold all that you've been given from that perfect state of being held, that you'll become a person of peace because you're ultimately surrendered and entrusted to God who is holding all things together for you, that you'll share the love and you'll share the song as His truth lulls every part of your own heart. And how beautiful would it be to adopt the attitude of impartation to the world around us? In obeying the command to be loved, we might just be love because of it. My husband, Nathan, who produced this record, um, wrote a beautiful overture called Heart and Hand that opens up the entire record. And so in the very top, it's just this beautiful piece of music, but it's also by saying, my heart is in your hand or heart in hand. It's this posture from the very top of surrender. And I think because of the crazy world that we live in right now, it it almost feels vulnerable for us to lie down and to go to sleep. And there's this feeling of what in the world are we going to wake up to on the news? And I can't tell you how many friends and people we know who are actually dealing with fear and anxiety, especially at night. So we wanted this record to be something that you could put on starting even after dinner time, especially if you have little ones, and dim the lights down. And this is big in our home from the time that our kids were really little. We have always set the tone right after dinner to get them in this posture of rest. And we've installed dimmers on pretty much every light switch in our entire house because of this. And one of Nathan's biggest pet peeves, like when the kids were little, we would have a sitter come and she'd keep the kids and we'd come home and every overhead light in the house would be on stun and the TV would be blaring. And I'm sure the sitter was just, bless her heart, trying not to be scared in our creaky old house. But we would come home and we would start basically on the set the tone rampage to get everything brought down to a glow. So it's preparing the way to literally be able to get 
in the posture to place your heart in the hands of God, even though it's already there. But there's something about that surrender, right? I place my heart in your hands. And to help those in your home be able to do the same, to prepare the way for rest. I find that sometimes when we're disciplined to prepare the way in a practical sense, our hearts tend to follow. So dimming the lights and putting on some worshipful music that calms the soul gets everyone to chill out, yes. But it's also making a way for us to be able to lie face up before God and to say, God, I believe my heart is in your hands. I surrender to the past, I surrender to the present, and I surrender to the future of the story that you're writing in my life. So pieces of this heart and hand overture melody is threaded through the entire record, and it pops up in different places and in different songs. And this is to represent those themes that God has been breathing through your life, your entire life, starting from back when you were a child. We talked about this back in August on the Build My Life episode of holding on to the wonder of God and even remembering those themes that have been threaded through so that we can see how they still fit into what God is breathing into us even now. It's a great example of one of those themes in my life is a really very simple thing, but it actually was very profound to me personally. But if you get a hold of the album, you'll see that His Banner Over Me is Love is the first song right after the overture. I believe this song was one of the first whisperings over my own life when I was just a toddler. This was the first worship song that I can remember learning. In fact, I've put my mom and dad on a mission of somehow trying to find a home movie of me singing this. Of course, I was a toddler in the 70s, so there's no sound to it, hence me calling it a home movie. And I think all I have on is a diaper in the video, and I'm doing little hand motions, but I'd love to just have it to remember that this theme was when he was speaking over me my entire life. I'm my beloved's, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. It was my favorite song, and here I am, all these years later, pouring out my heart on this very theme. The whisperings turned into impartation. And the invitation is the same for you. What does God have for you personally to impart into others from what He has spoken in and even sung over you all your life, even if you weren't raised in a Christian home or you didn't become a believer till later in life? I believe He was still calling to your heart. He was using things to speak to you all that time. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The second verse of His banner over me is love. says, He brought me to His banqueting table. I love imagining what little kids will imagine as they're laying there thinking of the banqueting table of God. And for those of us down the road a little bit, this might be even more of a challenge, actually. Maybe it's something that seems more like a movie to us or something really far off that isn't really true of us or real. But Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the book, Waking Up Gray, author Jenny Shute presents an interesting perspective on the Lord setting a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I mean, this was David writing this, and he literally had the spear-throwing Saul in his life that he had to run and hide from in caves. So he had actual enemies pursuing him. But as well, we know David had his share of brokenness in his life as well. Jenny kind of blew my mind one day as I was reading, what if we are our own worst enemy? So Jenny says, God prepares a table for you. You come to that table with your enemies, your self-contempt, your addictions, your pious self-righteousness, your wounds, your sicknesses. He invites you, all of you, the whole of who you are, and prepares a feast in the presence of of your poverty. Then what does this glorious host do? He anoints your head with oil and your cup overflows. You're being healed. This is what he does with your enemies. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. That's from Ezekiel 34:14 through 16. 
One of my favorite sermons of my dad's when I was a kid was when he spoke on the story of David and Mephibosheth from 2 Samuel 9. And at the beginning of 2 Samuel, David is mourning and lamenting over finding out that both Saul and his son Jonathan, who was David's best friend, had been killed by the Philistines. After this, David is anointed king, and he begins to rise up as the leader that God had anointed him to be. And David defeats the Philistines. He brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and God establishes a covenant with David, and David experiences many victories. And one day, David asks one of the servants of Saul's household, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? And the servant replies that there is still a son of Jonathan's. His name is Mephibosheth, and he is crippled in his feet. So David sends for Mephibosheth, and when he arrives, the scriptures say that David fell on his face and paid homage. David says, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth answers, Behold, I am your servant. And David says in verse 7, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. I always loved it when my dad would get to the part of the sermon where he would talk about Mephibosheth's crippled feet and how Mephibosheth entered the king's house declaring, you know, that he would be David's servant forever. But instead, the king welcomes him with the news that he's invited to the table basically forever. And my dad would describe in detail what the king's table must have looked like. A table meant for a king, set with the richest of foods and the choicest of dressings, and the finest large velvety tablecloth draping down to the floor, and how it covered those crippled feet of Mephibosheth, because the king's table covers everything. So back to this song, His Banner Over Me is Love. The third verse, it says, He lifted me up to the heavenly places. His banner over me is love. This is remembrance that if you've given Jesus your heart and surrender, then you are in Christ. And those who are in Christ have already been lifted, raised along with Christ. Ephesians 2 is a great example of God reminding you of who you were before Christ and who you are now in Him. Verse 4 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that promise. So that in the coming ages He can show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. How beautiful. So we are already seated with Him, and it's a sealed spot by the Holy Spirit. I love the messages version of this passage. It says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose His temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, He embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on His own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. My favorite part of that is you used to let this world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. My sweet niece, Adeline Hill, has been at our house the past few days, and my husband, Nathan, her uncle Nate, is producing a few songs for her for an upcoming EP. 
Adeline is 17, and her songs are so full of life, and she's so full of life. And her songs are going to be actually for a mainstream audience, which we're so excited about because her heart and her life are so bright with Jesus, and it just comes out in her music, which is what we need for our teenagers right now, even more than ever. Songs that talk about a love that's pure and hope and life and a future. And I don't want the world dictating for me or for my kids how to live when the world doesn't know the first thing about life. I want to live from this place of knowing that I have already been picked up and set down in the highest heaven with Jesus, and I'm in company with Him. I want my kids to live from that place because it's already what is true of them, and it's what's true of you today. Though you might be running errands or picking up your kids, you're already seated with Christ, and that's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your circumstances can change, but what's true of you cannot be changed. The God who made you and loves you, His love is otherly. It's not like even your own love. It's not like what you have to offer. It's different. He's waving a banner over your life today that says, this one's mine. And He's invited you to the table today in His presence. And He anoints your head with oil. He accepts you as you are when you're willing to come and just sit at the table where you already belong. As you listen to this song, as banner over me is love, I pray that you'll believe it and sing it today over your own life first. Put your own oxygen mask on first, if you will. And then as you let this truth rise up in you, sing it over somebody else today. You might actually sing it. That would be amazing. But you could also just live it and love from this truth today to those who you dearly love even maybe the lady at the checkout counter at the grocery store. And did you know that you can minister to the Lord in this way? You can believe this with your mind today as an act of being set apart and holy because He is set apart and holy. And you can bless Him and love Him today in this way by mimicking who He is because that's who you are as well. And he is mine, his banner over me is love. I'm my beloved, and he is mine, his banner over me is love. I'm my beloved, and he is mine, his banner over me is love, his banner. And he is 
is mine His banner over me is love I'm my beloved and he is mine His banner over me is love His banner over me is love Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are a partner with us on Patreon, you're going to get journal prompts today, along with this podcast as a way for you to ponder these things in your heart even longer. That's at patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. And just so you know, the album Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved, releases September 29th, but it's available now for pre-order on my website, christyknuckles.com. And if you listen to Spotify, this is kind of fun, you'll find a link on my site to pre-save the album to your current library, so it will just show up in there when it releases. So that's fun. I've already sent a link to some of my family members so that they could preview the record. And I've been a bit teary-eyed today just reading over their responses. I'm so hopeful that this is going to be a rich blessing to you and also just a much-needed resource, putting a song on your lips as you find refuge and rest in these days. I pray that you have a glorious rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.